Good morning, kids. If you guys want to come on up and sit on the front pew. Remember, I, I told you guys that, uh, and Shane, you weren't able to be here last week, but I told the kids you guys need to stay on the pew this time. You can't come forward, okay? So remember last week, we talked about the fact that we are in the season of Advent. And Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. The very first Sunday of Advent is, remember this word? Hope. The first Sunday of Advent is hope. Now, we already lit the candles from last week, so we won't light those candles, but we're going to light this candle to remind us that we've already, we already entered into hope. But do you remember what these two candles represented? Who was this? Remember this was? This was Joseph, and then this one was Mary. And then there was another big candle that was over here, but it's been moved back. What was this one? That was the angel Gabriel. Because remember, Gabriel came and visited Mary and Joseph to tell them that Jesus was going to be born. And then these other candles we'll talk about next week. But this is today's candle. This is the candle of peace. What do you think this story out of the Bible might be? Look up here. What's this? And three, three, the three wise men. Sometimes the wise men are referred to as the three kings. So see there, the glass here looks almost like a crown and they had gifts. Remember, they brought frankincense and gold and myrrh to the baby Jesus. So I want to light the candles and then I'll read to you. The story out of the Bible about peace that talks about. I didn't know there was a candle inside of that star. Yep. It's so secret. It is. <laughs> we sang a song last weekend about we three kings. Remember that? We three kings of Orient are. That's what this story's about. And I want to read it to you, okay? It comes in the book of Matthew in the very first chapter. Come on, fingers. I'll get there. Remember, you need to stay seated, please. It's actually Matthew chapter 2 for the wise men. And this is what it says. Shane, you need to be up on the pew, man, please. Now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wait a minute, these guys didn't come until after Jesus was born? That's correct. See, sometimes you'll see the wise men on a nativity set standing in front of the stable, but they didn't get there while Jesus was born in the stable. They got there after he was born. Look at, look at what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of King Herod, and behold, wise men from the east came to the city of Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was upset. And he got all of the chief priests and all of the scribes, and he said to them, Where is this Christ supposed to be born? And they said, uh, in Bethlehem, sir, in, in, the ten, in, the, in the land of Judah, because it was written, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod went, 
So he was born in Bethlehem, huh? And they said, yes, sir, that's where it says. That's what the Bible says. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Then it says, then King Herod summoned the wise men and he secretly said to them, when did this star appear? And they told him when they saw the star. It was about two years ago, sir. We saw it appear. And so we started on our journey to come here. And he then said, go to Bethlehem. Search for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word back that I may come and worship him too. And it says, after listening to the king, the wise men got on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So it says that the star fought, led them to where the place where the child was. But remember, he wasn't in the stable anymore because he was already older. It says, when they saw the star, they were rejoicing with great joy. And they went into the house where the child was with his mother, Mary, and his father, Joseph. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And they opened up their presents and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country and went another way and didn't tell Herod about finding the baby. That's the story of the wise men, the kings following the star to bring gold and frankincense and myrrh to baby Jesus and his family. It's part of the Christmas story. And you can ask your moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas when you get home why that's important, because we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I need to let you guys go in a, few, in a second so you can get started practicing your, your, your play for next week, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, God. To understand the truth of the story, not just the, the fables and the legends that we tell, but the truth about your word and the birth of Christ. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on out. Now, for those of you who are older than fifth grade, there's a little bit more to the story. But we're going to wait till the kids leave. If you're older, oh, you're, are you fifth grade? Oh, well, then you have to go anyway. If you're older than seventh grade, how's that? There's a little bit more to the story, but I didn't want to talk about it with the kids in the room. Matthew tells us a pretty sad tale, but it's part of the Christmas story. King Herod was a megalomaniac. King Herod was afraid of losing his kingdom, his kingship. He literally killed his own wife because he thought that she was um, betraying him. He killed one of his own sons. So when he found out from the wise men that the star had appeared approximately two years earlier and that the baby was born in Bethlehem, King Herod sent his soldiers and they went to the town of Bethlehem and they literally slaughtered every male that was under the age of two in the attempt to get rid of the baby. But what we didn't read to the kids, because again, it didn't make sense for them to hear it, was 
that the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And God warned Joseph of the danger that was coming and said, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Well, lo and behold, they had gold and frankincense and myrrh that they could use to fund the trip and to support themselves while they were in this sojourn in, e- in Egypt. And we don't honestly know how long um, the child uh, ha- was in, e- in Egypt. We just know that he came back eventually and they settled in Nazareth. What we do know, if you look at all the different gospel stories, because of the law of Moses, Mary had to be purified of her birth process for, because it was a child, a male child that was born, it was a 33-day purification. And that, so they, they did the, uh, the circumcision on the eighth day, but she couldn't present the child. Joseph and Mary couldn't present the child at the temple and offer the, the sacrifice for purification until the 33rd day of Jesus' life. And so Jesus was over a month old when they presented him in the, uh, in the temple where Simeon and Anna if you remember those two proclaimed that God was revealing to them the Messiah had come. And then they stayed in Jerusalem for a period of time. I mean, excuse me, in, in, in Bethlehem for a period of time. Probably set up housekeeping there. Joseph was a carpenter or, or, or a craftsman and he, he was able to establish some business. But all of a sudden, he gets this warning. Get out now. Well, we already know from previous history, Joseph is a very faithful man who listens to God. So he got up and left in the middle of the night, basically just grabbed everything and ran. And they had no idea what was going on between King Herod and the wise men and the leaders. All they knew was God said, get out of town now. So they did. And that's what God did to protect the plan of salvation. Now, that's the Advent story. That's not what we're looking at. Now, but it's important for you to know and understand that God has had a plan and God is involved even in the intricate little details of the plan to make sure that each one of you had access to God so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life, so that you could spend eternity with the father, even to the point, even to the point of having to warn somebody in a dream and being able to trust that that person had enough faith in God and had enough spiritual clarity to be able to receive that message and respond instantly. Powerful, powerful story. But what we are going to look at, Evelyn, can you bring up the Isaiah? Um, that, that There you go. No, bring that first one up. That's, that's good. Um, these are the passages of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, There's six passages of scripture that I want to talk about, all dealing with this story of peace. Now, the very first one, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Go ahead and bring that slide up, Evelyn. The Isaiah 9. Um, I'm going to read you the whole passage. There isn't room on the screen to put it all up there. But Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought it brought it into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, 
the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they devoid the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood as will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to you a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, if you have turned to Isaiah chapter 9, um, the very first words were, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. I want to just explain just for a few moments what they're talking about in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, only because it helps you to understand what this whole passage is about. Um, I don't want to do a whole lot of exposition because we just don't have the time this morning to go do an exposition through every single verse, but I want to at least give you an understanding. So this very first verse in chapter 9 says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. Now, let me explain what all of this is talking about. First of all, What is Galilee of the nations? It's the only place in the whole Bible where it's mentioned, where this phrase is used. Galilee of the nations means this is the land that was formerly yours, O Jewish people, but the the Assyrians have taken it over. So it is now the Galilee of the nations. Some translations will say the Galilee of the Gentiles. But basically what has happened is the northern kingdom has been totally, totally destroyed by Assyria. The people have been carried off and now the Assyrians have possession of the land. Where it says Zebulon and Naphtali, those are two of the tribes that inhabited that part of the world. But Naphtali and Zebulon are the areas where Jesus lived during his ministry in Galilee. So it's an interesting thing that those two of all the 10 tribes were were cited as the place where light is coming, where there is no more anguish, where there be no more gloom. Um, Now, what is this talking about, this gloom for her who was in anguish? Well, if you go back to chapter 8, just turn your page. It says, verse 16. Um, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. 
If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Chapter 9, verse 1. So what this is saying in chapter 8, Isaiah is declaring, you people, you northern tribes, you have turned away from your one hope. You have gone to the gods of the area. You're worshiping pieces of wood. You're worshiping stones. You're looking for nature to bring about healing to your world. And all you're getting is gloom and darkness and anguish. And the reality is because you've turned your back on me, I have allowed the Assyrians to come in and take over. And as a result, your world has totally gone to pot. But Isaiah says, chapter 9, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Something's coming. Something's happening. It's not there yet. Because it says, in the former time, he brought into contempt this land. But in the latter time, he is making glorious. And then verse 2, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then he goes on to talk about, how God is going to break the oppressor and that Assyria is going to have, you know, be totally destroyed and God's going to restore everything. And then God's going to set up this child is going to be born and the son is given and the government's going to be placed. And he's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God and blah, 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 blah. And that'll last forever. But there's this thing, this this verse two. And this, this is what I want to focus on this morning. The people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Now, did you see anywhere in any of these verses that we've looked at so far, the word Messiah? Did you see the word anointed one? Did you see the word Christ? No. Scholars tell us today that this is a messianic passage, that this is talking about the Messiah. But the words of the prophet do not specifically say this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Where did that come from? Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Go ahead and bring that slide up, Evelyn. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read to you 12 through 17. We've only got 17 up on the, on the thing. When Jesus heard that John, his cousin, had been put in prison, John the Baptist, he departed to Galilee. Ah, Galilee. Where's that? That's Zebulun and Naphtali, the area known as the way, the Galilee of the Gentiles. That's the area where Jesus went to live. Nazareth and, and Capernaum is actually where he ended up residing. Bethsaida, Capernaum, um, there was a triad. What was the other one? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Anyway, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, the Sea of Galilee. 
in the red regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled by which was spoken by the Isaiah, the prophet saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Does any of that sound familiar? The people who sat in darkness, this is Matthew talking. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region, a shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus, verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the gospel writers who pointed back to these prophecies and said, Here's one that's talking about the coming Messiah. And then he's reflecting back on Isaiah's words saying, your world has gone to pot. Absolutely everything is dark. You are in agony. You are in anguish. You are in complete and utter darkness. But a light has shined. And then chapter four of Matthew says, and here's the light. What is the light? Look at verse 17. Jesus's preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the light. That's your hope that will bring peace. Turn to John chapter one, verses one through 13. And, if it, and there you go. I'll read it to you. It says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John was not the light. John was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every person coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this light shining in the darkness, which gives us hope and peace, peace with God, is the story of Jesus coming into the world. The one who created the world coming into the world that we might receive him, believe in him and receive life. Now. In my studies this week, I was reading things that, you know, when you get into some areas that people disagree with you and you just, it just gets your, you're upset when you're reading their words. That was happening over and over again because as I'm reading these things, there are scholars out there 
who argue that there is no messianic prophecies. This is all made up by the Christian church. So I went on a search. I typed into Google and I said, when did the messianic prophecies get identified as messianic prophecies? And I started reading. I don't like what I read. There's no definitive anything. The best that I could come up with was what I've already shown you. The gospel writers tied the scriptures. But you see, what we're not seeing, what we don't know is the culture in which the gospel writers lived. The gospel writers were steeped in a culture of the prophecies. The Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah. We've read that. Scholars agree on that. You can go to extra biblical work, Josephus for one, and read that there was a messianic fervor going on at the time of Christ. Where'd that come from? Came from the prophecies. So the question is, how did it get connected to Jesus as being the fulfillment of the prophecies? And it's from the Gospels. Well, one of the writers said, and this is what made me mad. You can't trust somebody who justifies his own work. It's like, well, there's a story that C.S. Lewis wrote. And my wife and I listen to them all the time. It's Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this one story, the very first one that he wrote about the Chronicles, called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the beginning of that story, Lucy, one of the children, goes to the wardrobe and she meets a fawn. And she goes to Mr. Tumnus's house and she has tea with him. And it's a wonderful time. And then she goes, oh, Mr. Tumnus, I'm going to have to go because my kid, my family's going to be wondering what happened to me. And all of a sudden, Mr. Tumnus starts crying. Oh, I'm such a bad fawn. Oh, I've been trying to, to kidnap you and give you over to the White Witch. I'm such a bad fawn. And Lucy hands him her handkerchief and says, oh, Mr. Tumnus, please stop crying. So he finally stops crying and he goes, and he goes to hand her back the handkerchief and she says, keep it, just keep it. And then he safely gets her back home to the wardrobe so she can go back home. Well, then a few days or so later, all four kids get through the wardrobe and they again get to Mr. Tumnus's house. But now Mr. Tumnus has already been arrested for his helping of, the, of Lucy and his house has been burned and, and been ransacked. And they come out of the house and they're reading this uh, arrest warrant that was posted on the house. And as they're reading it, there's a beaver standing in the trees and he's going, Psst, come here, Psst, come here, come here. And they go over to him and he says he's a friend. And they say, and the leader, Peter says, um, excuse me, Mr. Beaver, but I'm not trying to be rude or mean, but how can I know? How can we know? We're strangers. How can we know that you're not trying to hurt us? And he said, oh, quite right, quite right. Here's my token. And he hands Peter a handkerchief. And Lucy goes, oh, that's my handkerchief. That's the one I gave Mr. Tumnus. And Mr. Beaver goes, that's right. Tumnus heard about the arrest before it actually happened. And he gave me the handkerchief and said, use this in case you need to go and talk with her. Because this will prove that you and I, that he and I know each other and that, that I'm a good guy. And so they follow Mr. Tum, Mr. Beaver to his home. And as they're walking, Edmund pulls Peter aside, the older one. The younger boy pulls the older boy aside. He goes, what are we doing 
How are we knowing that this guy, who he had, the, he had her handkerchief. He said, doesn't prove anything. What do you mean it doesn't prove anything? It doesn't prove that he's a good guy. He, it proves he's in, he's in cahoots with Mr. Tumnus, but what if Mr. Tumnus is a bad guy? We don't know if this guy's a good guy or not. And that's what I was reminded of when I was reading this writer about saying the gospels justifying their own story and saying that Jesus was the Messiah is not a valid justification. You have to have outside corroboration. And I'm like, hmm. And then someone else I read was arguing against that logic. And he said, there are those out there who blah, 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 blah. But let me tell you something. And he's writing this as a scholarly article. So it's not like it's just somebody's opinion. And he said, there is not a single person out there for over 2,000 years who can definitively, logically, with any reason and rationality, show you the link that Jesus is the Messiah. You know why? Because it's a matter of faith. And I went, thank you, thank you, I'm back on track. <sighs> Yay. <sighs> How do I prove this to the people? <laughs> hmm. And I started thinking about my own story. And I thought, you know, I can't remember a time. I cannot remember a time going back to my earliest days when I didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't believe that there was a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that Jesus willingly died on the cross and that the Father, through the Father's power, raised Jesus back to life and that Jesus then ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that the Father sent the Spirit of the Son to be with us, to lead us into all truth. I have owned this as truth for as long as I can remember. I'm going back to when I was five and six years old. How in the world did I get that? How? Here's how. Bring up the next slide, Evelyn. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I was reared in a home that took me to Sunday school classes. That my grandmother bought me little gospel books, little cartoon books that were the story of a guy named Noah and these animals that came. And a story about this guy who wanted all the money that he was supposed to get. So he told his father, I want my inheritance now. And stories like that were in these little books. <clears throat> and I remember when I was 16 years old and I came to a personal commitment of faith to God and somebody gave me a Bible that was my very first own Bible that was mine. I didn't just go to class and they hand me a piece of paper, but this was my Bible and I was reading it. Now, how do you read a book? You open up the front cover and you start reading. So I was reading through the gospel of, I mean, through the, the book of Genesis. And I get to chapter nine, I think it is. And I went, I literally, I remember this distinctly. I'm reading and I went, oh, Noah's in the Bible? 
Now you're giggling, but the reality was I had never connected these stories I had been told as a child with the word of God. But from the time I came to faith and was reading the word of God for myself, I'm seeing that these stories that had been part of my growing up were part of the word of God. And so what my parents did was Proverbs 22, 6. If you read in, 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 in Deuteronomy, it says that you should, as you walk along the way, as you lie down, as you sit down to eat with your family, you should be telling your children these stories. Because this is how they learn to have faith. See, others in the world will tell you, well, that's just brainwashing. You should let your children grow up to believe whatever they want to believe. And then you help them when they get old enough to understand. I am sorry. That is a, a lie out of the pit of hell. Amen. There is a foundation that the parents and the grandparents and the aunties and the uncles have a responsibility. And the pastors and the Sunday school teachers have a responsibility to lay a foundation so that God, the Holy Spirit, can enlighten them. Did you hear that word? Enlighten the light coming into the darkness. What was the light? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because I will tell you, I was reared to believe these stories. But I didn't come to a personal commitment of faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ until I was 16. And I can go back in my own story and look at age 14. And I can see where the Holy Spirit was drawing me and wooing me. I can remember saying to my friends, I wish I had a faith like that person does. Because their faith is real and mine is just. And I can remember all, all of these times that God was just drawing me and connecting the dots for me. And all of a sudden, one night, October 25th, 1975, at 11.30 at night, in the driveway of Ginger Francis in Southern California, I prayed and gave Christ my heart forever and for always. And the Holy Spirit of God came in, and it was amazing. And I became... I didn't use these words back then, but I became what I now call myself the frog man. Frog is an acronym, F-R-O-G, fully rely on God. And I'll show you where it comes from out of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, please. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I added the word fully. Fully rely on God. But it deals with light coming into darkness. That's what brings peace with God. Now, Am I making all this stuff up? Am I trying to connect stuff? I can show you where it's a core Christian teaching. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 14. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship. Listen to this. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are expo- that are exposed are made manifest for the, by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 8, though, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does that mean? That means your life, your lifestyle, your practices are to be more than simply, I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old and now I'm going to heaven. Yes, that's part of it. But it is so much more. If you go to the book of Matthew and look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus wrote, uh, Jesus gave and Matthew recorded, Matthew chapter 5 all the way through to verse chapter 7, in there he says, let your good deeds so shine before men that they see, I mean, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' own teaching in the greatest sermon Jesus ever gave. Let your light so shine before the rest of the world that they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is so much more than just getting saved. You have to read the word of God and and saturate yourself with the word of God. You need to become so conversant with the word of God that when someone who's in the dark asks you, how do you live like you do? How in the world can you get through what you just went through? I don't understand. I wouldn't have that kind of strength. And so often we go, oh, it was God. That is a cheesy way out. Seriously. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. That's a cheesy way out. You are being given an opportunity where the darkness is saying, shine some light in here. I don't get it. How do you live the way you live? Oh, let me tell you. I used to live in the way that you're talking about. I used to struggle. I would never have had the strength on my own. But God brought light into my life. I learned so much. I learned that this book that everyone thinks is ancient and useless and has no meaning in today's society, this is the foundation on which I build my whole life. And if you want to have opportunity, I'll be glad to sit down and talk with you about it sometime. But this is how I get through. Yes, God is with me, but God has taught me through his word that is alive. And if you go to the word, it says it is able to divide darkness and light, sin and righteousness, marrow and bone. But we are commanded to walk as children of light. Now, it's Christmas. We sing all these fun songs. Songs that go back to when we were little. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. 
Do these have snow? Well, psh, we're in Alaska. <laughs> but some of the songs are so familiar to us that when we sing them, we just sing them. And we don't really engage with them. One of them was done this morning. I want you, we're going to bring the words up. I do not want you to sing. I'll sing. I want you to just engage with the message. Evelyn, go ahead and bring that up, please. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. What's the rest of it? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you know what it means that Jesus died for you and the Father brought him back to life and the Holy Spirit is present with you, guiding you into all truth, when you hear these words, this is more than just a fun song that we sing once a year to celebrate while we have the red and the green and the gold going. This is the truth. This is the light that penetrates the darkness. And as I said, the only way you can make the jump from Old Testament to New Testament story is on a bridge called faith. Bring up that last slide, Evelyn, please. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've asked the worship team if they'll come up and close with me as we close out this time of listening to the word. So worship team, come on up, please. Um, I don't think Valen will be with us, but that's okay. We're going to sing one of the songs we sang earlier. It's called The Stand. It was the one we sang just before prayer. But as we, were, as we were practicing this morning for the worship time, I, the Holy Spirit just impressed on me that we needed to close this moment with these words. So join with us if you know the song. Otherwise, just listen to the words. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand You spoke the worth into motion My soul now to stand 
you stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to So what can I say, and what can I do, but offer this heart of God completely to you? So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit of life in me, my life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do but offer this heart, O oh God, completely to you? So what can I say? And what can I Father God, <clears throat> I've served you since 1975, but today, December 10th, 2023, 
I recommit my life to you. I promise you that I will serve you to the best of my ability. I will read your word. I will pray. I will speak truth into the lives of the people around me. I will honor you with all that I am, with all that I have, with all that I ever hope to be. And Father, as I am praying this prayer of recommitment, I'm asking that my brothers and sisters in the room would join me in that recommitment. And Father, if there's any in this room who have never made a commitment to you, I pray right now that you would help them by faith to enter into relationship with you. You did all the work. All we have to do is receive it. But there is a transaction and that transaction is we believe it with our heart and we speak that belief with our mouth and we will be saved. Help us, God, all of us, to leave here in right relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on up, Elsie.